0: Island Church would like to thank you for tuning in. Today, you will be hearing a message from our 18th annual Fall Harvest Conference.
1: So now today I'm going to share something with you, which I shared, I think I shared in this church a couple of years before, but the Lord brought it up to my memory and the Lord said, share this with people, this will really help you. And it is in line with what Pastor Rusty uh, said about, about overcoming diseases and things like that. And... These are things, you know, Jesus has paid the price. Uh, he has already paid the price, but we are the ones who have to overcome. Yeah. You, know, J- you know, Jesus has overcome the devil, but our circumstances, we have to take what Jesus has done. We have to take the word that he has given us, and we have to use that to overcome uh, all the works of Satan. And so, anyway, let's go to Mark chapter 11. Let's go to Mark chapter... 11, hallelujah. And I'm reading from verse 12. It says, and on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. So Jesus was was going from uh, Bethany to Jerusalem, and it says, this was in the morning, he was hungry, and seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon, and he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever, and his disciples heard it. OK, so what happens is that Jesus is going from Bethany to Jerusalem, and he, he passes a fig tree, OK? Now, he looks through the fig tree. But he sees nothing but leaves. And it tells us why. Because it was not the season for figs. And you'd think Jesus would know it because he was a local guy. I mean, of course, figs are seasonal. And, and when you live in a certain area, you know when oranges grow because they're seasonal. You know when, where, when, when pineapples grow. And you know when mangoes grow, when figs grow. Uh, uh, you know, but here in America, people don't know what season because we buy everything in the supermarket. But, but anyone who has uh, trees in his garden, he would know you know, seasonal fruit. So figs are a seasonal fruit. So what was it that Jesus was looking for since it was not the season for figs? Now, uh, this has nothing to do with my message, but this is his extra bonus I'm giving you. Uh, what, you see, fig trees have a very unique feature, and that is that long before the season for figs, Uh, The owner of the tree can go and look at the tree and examine the tree. And every branch will have little, little pods on it, growing on it. And each pod indicates the spot where a, a, a fig would actually appear in the season. So the owner will go and see the tree months before the season for figs, and he can tell whether it is a good tree or a bad tree by the number of pods on it. And if there's no pods on the branches, then he knows that this fig tree is useless. It's not going to give any fruit. And that's why the Bible says that every tree that does not bear fruit, he will cut down and throw into the fire, and he'll put a new tree there instead. instead because fig trees were actually a source of income For the owners. Figs are very prized in the Middle East. So what Jesus was actually after was that he wanted to use a fig tree to teach them something about faith. But he wanted to use a tree that was useless, that would not bear fruit. Why? Because you have to remember this, that God never curses anything which is fruitful. God never curses anything which is good and fruitful. So when Jesus, he he, he says he found nothing but leaves. There were no pods there. And then look what he does, what his response is. It says, he said unto it. That means he actually spoke to the tree. Jesus talked to a tree. Now I don't want to be seen talking to a tree because uh, you know if 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 God ever told me to talk to a tree uh, I would say God uh, let this tree be in an obscure place where nobody goes to and let this be at night you know I don't I don't want anyone to say you know that brother Christopher Alam is preaching in our church on Sunday I saw him talking to a tree man I wonder you know what's gone into his head so you know so you don't want to be seen to be talking to a tree and if if I absolutely had to talk to a tree, I would go there at night and I would just uh, pretend looking around and just, you know, and just walk away. I just talked to the tree. But Jesus, he talked to the tree and he did so very deliberately. And then it says in verse 14, and his disciples heard it. That means he did it loudly. He spoke loud enough. So each one of his 12 disciples and some were very close to him, some were maybe standing 10 yards away. They all heard him. They heard him speak because he wanted them to hear what he said to the tree. And he spoke precisely to the tree and told the tree what he wanted to happen to it. He said, nobody is going to eat fruit of you forever. And then he walked away from there. He didn't take a second look. Because after he spoke, the tree looked exactly the same as it had done before he spoke. He didn't say, well, maybe I didn't shout loud enough, or, or I should have shaken the tree, you know, giving a Pentecostal Sheikah, Shanda. He didn't do that. He just spoke the word, and he walked away. Because as far as he was concerned, it is with that mouth with which he spoke that he created the heavens and the earth, and he knew how much power there was in his words. So, he knew that as soon as he had cursed that fig tree, it was a done deal because he believed in the power of the words that came out of his mouth. So then he goes, takes his team, and they go all the way to Jerusalem. And you know the rest of the story, they come to Jerusalem, and he, he, turns, he turns over the tables of the money changers, and he creates quite a ruckus there, you know? Is that what you say in Texas? Yeah. Creates a ruckus. Okay. So he does that. And then it says here, he leaves the place. In verse 19, when he had done all this, can you imagine? That's the only reason he went to the temple, to create a ruckus. And when he had done that, he walked away from there. So it says, and when evening was come, he went out of the city. And verse 20, and in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, he said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursed is withered away. It's interesting that Peter's excitement depended upon him actually seeing the tree withered away. He, he he didn't shout when Jesus had cursed the fig tree. He didn't say, wow, Jesus had spoken to the fig tree. It's as good as dead. Let's go, you know. But he had to see something. And that's why Jesus said, have faith in God, which actually means have the faith of God. What he was saying is that, Peter, you have the faith of man that is dependent upon what it sees. But instead, you have to have the faith of God, which is not dependent upon what it sees, but which is dependent upon what it speaks." And that's why we have to make that shift. If we want to see miracles and healings, we have to make that shift in our lives. When we stop looking for evidence and we start believing the word instead and believe the word of God, no matter what we see. And that is a shift we all have to make in our lives. And the only way we can really make that shift is by renewing the mind. That's why the renewing. Renewal of the mind is so important. The renewal of the mind means that we teach our, we unteach ourselves, if that's a word. We unteach ourselves the way we have always thought as human beings, and instead we teach ourselves to think and to look at things the way God looks at them. That is called the renewal of the mind, and I'm, I'm going not. I'm not going to lie to you. It's not easy. It's work. It takes. It takes. Uh, you know, study of the word and speaking the word and confessing the word, and it's a lifelong quest. And I have been doing it for forty years, and I'm still not there. But I am far better than I was before. I, I am. Uh, if you want to know where I am, I'm at that place that whenever I feel ill in my body or I feel anything coming up, I always jump up and say, "Thank you, Jesus. You bore my diseases." and carried my pains, and with your stripes I am healed. I have managed to correct myself quite a bit, but I still have a ways to go. So what I'm saying is that it is a lifelong quest. You don't just read one of Dad Hagen's books and say, oh, God, I got it. No, you don't got it. It takes time, because it is also called entering into the rest, and Hebrews 4, it says, labor therefore to enter into the rest. So there is a rest that God has prepared for us but it's work to get in there. But once you get in there, you will reap the fruits and the blessings for it. So you have to be very single-minded in your pursuit of a renewed mind, a mind that thinks in line with the Word of God and a mouth that speaks in line with the Word of God. And we have to decide, I am going to do it. I'm committed to this because a lot is at stake. It's uh, whether you're going to sell. Succeed in life or not, whether you're going to overcome the devil or not, it depends upon that. And it's worth it to really give ourselves to the renewal of the mind. Amen? So again, I'm not the one to lie to you and tell you, oh, it's easy, just read one booklet, confess for two days, it's done. No. It's a slow process. It's a lifelong process. Because you know the mind is everything. Because your biggest battle is actually fought in the mind. And the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So some people say, oh, you are what you eat. That's the biggest lie of the devil. You're not what you eat. You are what you think. Because what gets your mind is what gets you. And so that's why the mind is so important. Because that is where the biggest battles are won. Okay, so anyway, so Jesus said, (coughs) have the faith of God. Then he tells us the two ways through which the faith of God is expressed, because here's the thing. Faith is very powerful, but it will not do us any good until it is expressed, unless we do something with it. Because faith can be in the heart, but you must have to move it, you know. You have to move it there's there's the you know the the miracles of god are in the motion Do you understand what I'm saying? It's in the motion. Faith has to be moved. And there's two ways you move faith. The first way is called speaking the word. Verse 23, uh, verily I say unto you, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, and by thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he says. That's the first thing. The second thing is the second way we move faith is through prayer. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Amen. That's the second way. So it's through speaking the word and through, uh, through prayer. Unfortunately, most people, uh, they only know how to move uh, you know, faith through prayer. They pray. or or they want the hands laid on them. But sometimes, God will tell you, you believe God. You pray, right? And sometimes, God will say, prayer is not enough. You have to start speaking the word, because you can't lock yourself and only pray. Prayer, as good as it is is not the answer to everything. You have to start speaking the word. You have to do that. So you know, sometimes people, uh, I say, how are you doing? Well, I'm believing God. I say, I'm not interested in whether you're believing God. I'm interested in what you're saying, what you're talking. Because what you are saying, what's coming out of your mouth, that is what is interesting. Not what you are believing God for, but how you are expressing what you believe God for. But then verse 25 is a caveat. And that is, tells us. That's the one thing that can hinder our faith. And when you stand praying, forgive, if you have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you of our trespasses. And that, in a wider sense, it includes unforgiveness. It includes uh, uh, speaking negative of other people. It includes uh, holding grudges against people. We have to be very, very, very careful. We have to be, you, you know, we have to, especially in this election season, we have to learn to disagree without being disagreeable. We we have to learn to say I don't like this I don't agree with this without vilifying people you know uh, Christians are world champions at uh, vilifying people that perceive to have other uh, views and opinions than we do do you understand what I'm saying I mean there 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 are there are you know people. Uh, uh, who, you know, politicians and people whose views I disagree with badly. But I have to be very, very careful how I express my disagreement because I don't want to end up vilifying people because because what, what it does is that, you see, it's like this. You cannot win people for Jesus if you hate them. Now, you might say, I don't hate them. Yes, but you do. The way you talk about people, it, it does. You know, you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't win people for Jesus uh, unless you love them. And right now, America is very polarized. It's about 50-50 or maybe 49-51. It is very, very polarized. You know, it is, it is that way. Uh, but it's very, you know, it's very split. And, and the thing is that there are about, so you can say, half of the people in this country don't believe like you and me. But our primary task as Christians is to make sure that they hear the gospel. Yeah. And that, that's our first task as a Christian. But, 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 but we can't. I mean, they won't even listen to us if they think we are against them you know because uh, if people perceive that you are against them or you hate them or you dislike them believe me no one no one no matter how great the gospel is and how great a work god has done in your life they will not be interested in hearing and and the gospel is more important than anything so we have to keep that in mind uh, and to live a life free from grudges against people who do us wrong and, and you know because those, these things can actually hinder our faith Believe it or not. And Jesus put it here. So anyway, but let's look at the second one uh, that is uh, releasing, uh, uh, releasing faith through prayer. It's very simple. It says in verse 24, Jesus said, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. In other words, you pray. And when you pray, you don't wait around for it to happen before you believe it has happened. But you pray, and the moment you prayed, you believe that it has happened, and then you shall have it. In other words, if you got it, then you'll get it. If you got it, you'll get it. Amen? You get that? Then you got it. Praise God. If you got it, you will get it. That's what he said, that if you, when you pray, believe that you have it. Now, that you might, some people say, well, how can you claim to have something that you don't really possess and you believe you have it? Well, simple. If God says, if the word of God says it is yours, and if Jesus has purchased it with his blood yeah. upon the cross, you and I have every right to believe that it is ours. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. That is what gives us the right to say that I have it. But I'm going to focus on... On, on this speaking of the word, because that's what Jesus did when he talked to the tree. He says, Jesus said, For whosoever, that means this works for everybody. For everybody. Whosoever shall say to this mountain, that means you have to say something to the mountain. Right. you got to talk to, Jesus talked to a fig tree, but he's telling us to talk to our mountains, and the mountains are the things in our life, so you've got to talk to. The mountain, he says, and you're going to tell the mountain exactly what you want it to do. It says, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says, not what God says, but what you say, shall come to pass. Then he says, you shall have whatsoever you say. Not what God says. You shall have whatsoever you say, which means... This is something fantastic. It means that the word of God in your mouth is as powerful as the word of God in God's mouth. Yes. If you can take the word of God and put it in your mouth and speak it out, and you really believe that I'm speaking the word of God, and it shall come to pass, you shall have what you say. Hallelujah. Yes. Amen. So there is power. There is creative power in our mouth. If we, we shall have whatsoever we say. We say, Praise the Lord. Now, let me give you uh, two examples of this. Let's look at Mark chapter 5. Now, Mark chapter 5, there's the famous story of the woman with the issue of blood, okay? Now, it says, and a certain woman, which had an issue of blood 12 years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch his, but his clothes, I shall behold. Now, th- this woman had been bleeding for 12 years. I remember a few years ago, there was a woman who was carried Uh, in a car to my crusade. She couldn't walk. She was carried actually in a blanket. I mean, she was pale as a sheet. She was a black African lady, but her skin was pale as a sheet. And she looked like a skeleton. And I asked, what is wrong with her? They said, she has been bleeding for one or two years. And I always think of that woman. And I think of what shape this woman must have been after bleeding for 12 years. Okay, Now, not only that, but she had done everything she could to get better and had spent all her money. And instead of getting better, she had gotten worse. Now, one thing about people like that, they're mostly very bitter, disillusioned, and jaded. If you tell them, we're going to have a healing service, they normally say, you know what? I've done it, been there, done that. So. They don't expect much. But this woman had a spark of faith. There was a little spark of something in her. So what it said, what it says here, when she heard of Jesus, she heard of Jesus. She heard what Jesus could do. She came in the press behind and touched his garment. Then it tells us why she touched his garment. Verse 28, for She said. She said something. Now, what did she say? If I touch his garment, I shall be made whole. But the interesting thing is the Greek word, which is translated as said, which is the word legu, which actually means to continually, repeatedly declare, proclaim, and affirm something. So it wasn't that she was saying, "Okay, you know what? I think I'll touch his garment, and I'll be made whole. She didn't do that. What it means was that she decided to say something. She formulated her faith in words, and she declared, and she said, I'm going to touch his clothes and I shall be made whole. And she kept on repeating it, kept on saying it, kept on affirming it. She said again and again and again, I'm going to touch his garments and I shall be made whole. Because he sometimes what happens, you send the word out and then you chase that word. You speak that word out, and you speak it out, and you speak it out, and speak it out. And your actions are actually, they chase that word that you have spoken. So that's what she was doing. She put that word out and kept on speaking the word. I'm going to touch his clothes, and I shall be made whole. I'm going to touch his clothes, and I shall be made whole. I'm going to touch his clothes, and I shall be made whole. I'm going to touch his clothes, and I shall be made whole. I'm going to touch his his garment, and I shall be made whole. Going to touch his garment, and I shall be made whole. And each time she's repeated that, something rolls up within her. And then she, she made her way to him, and she touched him. And the moment she touched him, the power of God flowed from him into her body, and she was healed. And it was so powerful that Jesus stopped. He said, somebody touched me. And Peter said, Lord, you're a celebrity. Everyone wanted to touch you so they can say, oh, I touched him, you know. But Jesus said, no, this was a different touch. And then the woman was, you know, she said, it was me. And what did he say? He didn't say, I healed you. He said, your faith has healed you. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. That's the power of the words that we speak. And that's why, you know, we have to speak the word into the most impossible situations. Many years ago, I was in a town called Gorzow in Poland, and there was a... That night, we had several uh, people get up from wheelchairs and walk. But there was this uh, 17-year-old boy. He was still in the wheelchair. His parents came to me. This was in a Roman Catholic church. And the parents came to me. They said, uh, Brother Christopher, uh, our son was not healed. I said, uh, I said, was Jesus here? Oh, of course, Jesus was here. He healed all those people. I said, I said Jesus was here, so he was also here for your boy, and Jesus has also touch your boy. It's just that it's going to be different. She, then they said, so what should I do? I said, all you have to do is one thing, just one thing. I said, God is at work. So all you have to do is to say every day, Every single day, look at your boy and say, thank you, Jesus, that you bore our son's infirmity, and by your stripes he has been healed, and I thank you that you are doing your work in his body, and the man of God has laid hands on our son, and he is healed. And I said, that's all you have to do. Nothing more, nothing less, just that. It's simple as that. And uh, one thing I like about the Catholics is that you know they haven't listened to different radio preachers say different things and read different books. They, if they think you're a man of God, they'll believe everything you say. Uh, they say, oh yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I said, great. A year later, I was back in Poznań, Poland, which is an hour and a half away, and they came to me and they said, our son is healed. It was a one-year process. It was slow, but our boy got healed because we did whatever you told us to do. You see, the word of God always does its work. Amen. Now, sometimes things take time. We don't know. Because, you know, in the case of Jesus, he talked to the tree. It took 24 hours from the time he talked to the tree to the time it was shriveled up. Why did it take 24 hours? Do you want to know? I have the answer. It's three words. I don't know. Because you see, it's like this. I can only tell you what the scriptures say. If the Bible, the Bible doesn't tell us why it takes time but we as human beings we have this natural thing to we always make have to make sense of everything and rationalize everything and 2 and 2 always have to make 4 then we come up with ideas well maybe he had sin in his life or maybe he didn't confess right or maybe you know he had some generational spirits his grandmother did witchcraft or maybe that was the reason or maybe it was not god's will if you're a baptist you know it wasn't god's will so but you know but you See, all these are speculative. All these are speculative. And one man's speculation is as good or as bad as another man's speculation. But the worst thing with speculations is that when a speculation goes around for a certain amount of time, people incorporate that into their theology. And that's when they say, well, I believe Jesus is a healer. I believe he bore everyone's diseases. But sometimes, because he's doing a great work in us, we know, we don't know. Sometimes God doesn't want to heal people. But we'll be all healed in heaven, because the leaves of those trees are for the healing of the nations. We'll all go to heaven. We'll all be healed. Now, you know, you build a theology like that, you kill your own faith, you kill everybody else's faith. So don't even go there. So what do you do with things you don't understand? You know what you do? Put it on a shelf and just move on preaching the word. Things you don't understand, don't dwell there. Don't even let your mind go there. Don't think of those things. But the Bible says, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things things are beautiful, of good report, think of those things. And these things that you don't understand, because see, one thing about the Bible, the Bible doesn't tell us everything. 2 Peter chapter 1, it says that everything we need for life and godliness, the Bible tells us. But there are certain things that the Bible doesn't really address. How tall was Jesus? (laughs) Did he like hummus? (laughs) When Martha and Mary would cook for him, what did he like? You know, we don't know. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's things we don't know. But we do have everything in there that we need to know to live and to overcome in this life. And then when we go to heaven, there's other things we'll find out. So don't even go into things that the Bible doesn't address. So, but, the, but what we do know is this, that Jesus did bear everybody's diseases. We know that. Amen. The other thing we know that God always hears prayer. So knowing that, yep. you pray, and because you have prayed, you can have this deep assurance God has heard, and it is a done deal, and I can just praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. If it doesn't happen tomorrow, today it'll happen tomorrow. Amen. 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 So let, let me finish by telling you a story, okay? This is about speaking the word, the power of speaking the word. 1981. You know, I got baptized in early 1980. I got hold of Brother Hagen's books and was studying faith and all that, and it was great. And then what happened was that, uh, uh, you know, I was I was very new in the things of faith and miracles and work of the Spirit. So I used to study a lot. I used to pray a lot, and so. One day, I prayed for a lady on a train who, who was healed, and word spread, and there was a little Lutheran church in the south of Sweden. They invited me to preach. And you know, that was the first time ever that I was invited to preach in a church. And you know, when you're a young preacher, and you're invited to preach in a church for the first time, it's a big thing. I went and bought myself a new suit, a new pair of shoes, And I bought myself a new Bible because I'm going to, I'm into the big time now, you know. (laughs) So I go to this little Lutheran church seven hours away by train, and uh, I go there to preach. And it was a tiny little chapel. And uh, so I preached there. I, I mean, I preach like I'm preaching to a million people, you know. And people got baptized with the Holy Spirit. Friday night we started. Friday night, Saturday, Sunday night. Last service, right in the last row. I saw a lady very well dressed. She was a a pretty lady in her late 30s, and she was dressed very well, expensive clothes. She sat there carrying a little boy. And so when I called people forward for prayer, she came carrying that boy. He was about 10 years old, so I knew there was something wrong with the boy. And she stood in the front with that little boy. I said, please be seated. I said, what's wrong with him? She says, this is my son. He cannot walk. Now, what I found out later, that he had an incurable disease, so that all the calcium was being drained from his body, his muscles were atrophying. In fact, there was no name for the disease. He was the third known case in the world. And there was no treatment for him. The family was wealthy, and uh, they had taken the boy to many different countries to get treatment. You know, And they took bone marrow samples and all that, trying to figure something out. But there was no cure for him. I didn't know this. And sometimes it's good not to know all the details. But if you know the details, your mind gets in the way. Yeah. That's why. That's so, so anyway, so all, all I knew was this boy could not walk. And they wanted prayer. So I said, OK, I'm going to pray. But the problem was, I had never prayed for a paralyzed person before. I'd never seen anybody else do it either. I'd just re- read about it in the Bible. And I really had no idea what I'm going to do. So then I suddenly remembered, Brother Hagen had written in one of his small booklets that there's seven different methods God uses to heal the sick. Laying out of hands, anointing with oil, casting out devils, prayer of faith, and all that. So I had a bright idea. I'm going to do all seven (laughs) and one of them is going to work. So I said, okay, so I'm going to start with the prayer of faith. I stood over the little boy, I prayed the prayer of faith and I said, that is done. I was mentally ticking down my list, you know. (laughs) Second thing, I'm going to lay hands on him. I put my hands on that little boy. I gave him a solid Pentecostal massage, you know, like I'd seen preachers do, she da ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. You know, I, I let that boy have it. I saw. So, then i thought now i'm going to anoint with oil so i back in those days you know all of us young preachers we used to carry this little oil bottle because we heard wigglesworth used to carry an oil bottle so i had mine so i took my wigglesworth bottle and i i i put some on my finger and made a dab on his you know a little cross we used to do this little cross and I did a little cross and i said uh-uh, this won't get the job done more oil is needed so i emptied that bottle on that boy's head And I saw the little trickle of oil. I said, uh-uh, this ain't good enough. So I used to carry a one-liter refill (laughs) bottle, which I used to keep behind the pulpit. So one liter is like, how much? fourth of a gallon, right? So I took that bottle, and I just unscrewed the cap, emptied all that olive oil on the boy's head. And the oil ran down. The mother's $1,000 dress was ruined. She and the boy covered with oil. Then I thought, okay, I've done this. Now I'm going to pray for this anointed handkerchief. So I took my hanky, (laughs) laid my hands on it, and I prayed, I prayed, I prayed over that handkerchief. Then I put the handkerchief on the boy's head. So here he is. He's being carried by his mother. His hair ruffled up, oil all over, hanky on his head. Then I thought, okay, what next? Casting out of demons. So I began to shout at the devils to come out. I said, "Devils, come out of him! Every kind of devil, come out!" And I thought, by the way, by the uh, you know, the way I'm going at it, if there's a devil, is going to come out. You know, no devil can stay by the time I'm through with him. But then I thought, what if there's no devil? Well, if there's no devil, no harm done. You know, so. So I did that, and uh, then I thought, okay, I've got to pray the prayer of agreement, Matthew 18, verse 19. So Pastor Eric, this was in Sweden, Swedish guy. He's sitting in the corner, you know, and he's like this, you know. (laughs) So I said, Pastor Eric, and Pastor Eric goes. And uh, so then I thought, okay, he doesn't want to pray the prayer of agreement. I should give him Holy Communion. That was the last one. (laughs) So I said, Pastor Eric, do you have any Holy Communion? And once again, he did like this, you know. So I couldn't give him Holy Communion. I said, Lord, I've done my best, but five out of seven ain't bad, one of those should work. And so then the mother said, what now? I said, what do you mean, what now? The boy is healed. And she said, he is? I said, yes, he healed. She stood him up, he crumpled down to the floor. And then I said, she said, oh, I said, listen, the Bible, this is the man of God. You know, the Elisha said to Naaman, he said, to dip seven times in the River Jordan. You've got to do this seven times. Seven times he stood up, seven times he fell on the ground. Now I have run out of options, you know. <laughs> She's now holding him. And she says, "She says, is there anything else? I said, yes, there's one thing. I said, this is God. I have done everything that God says that I should do. There, everything I know in the Bible, I have done everything. And, but there's one more thing, and that's what you have to do. She said, what is it? I said, every time you look at your boy, just open your mouth, and just say these words. Say, thank you, Jesus, that you have borne my son's infirmity, and with the stripes he has, with your stripes he has been healed, and that the man of God has laid hands on my son, prayed for him, and my son is healed. She says, you mean I should say it loud? It's not enough to say in my heart. I said, no, you've got to say it loud. She says, my husband is crazy. He's, he already is angry that I'm here. He's not a believer. I said, well, you want your son to live or to die? She said, I want him to live. I said, then you better do what I told you. So anyway, the meeting ended. She went home carrying that son. And Pastor Eric disappeared through the <laughs> side door. There was no offering for this preacher. There was, he didn't even say thank you. He disappeared. So I was staying in someone's home. And that brother, he said, let's go home. I said, I want to greet the people. He said, no, no, you don't want to greet anyone. (laughs) Let's go home. So he took me home. He said, I understand what you were trying to do. I'm with you. Believe me, I'm with you. I said, thank you. Somebody's with me. And then he took me to the train station the next day. So I was on that seven hour train ride to Uppsala, Sweden, where I live. And during that seven hours, I fought the biggest mental battle of my life. I was hearing these thoughts and the devil, I don't know who it was, telling me, you have made a fool of yourself. That boy is going to die. Sweden is a small country. Everybody is going to know of it. You are finished. Your ministry is finished. You are done. And all I said, something rose up within me. I said, devil, I just did what the Bible says I should do. And my Bible says, let God be true, and let every man be a liar. And I declared that the boy is healed. But it wasn't easy, because you see, what was happening, uh, I was fighting everything. I was fighting an intellectual battle against the way my education had trained me to think. You know, Uh, the, 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 uh, the process of mental logic that our education teaches us all that was suddenly things that had benefited me were some suddenly against me had become my enemy and I had to stand up against it anyway so I reached home when I reached home my wife, instead of greeting me and saying I have dinner for you honey good to see you she said you must call Pastor Eric I said Pastor Eric she said yeah he's been trying to call you all day and something said oh goodness the boy is dead you know <laughs> but but I didn't say it out. It just hit my mind. And I said, no, the boy's not dead. My wife said, what are you talking about, the boy's dead? I said, no, I'm just speaking faith. She said, call Pastor Eric before you eat. So I called Pastor Eric. Those days, we didn't have cell phones. I called pa- Pastor Eric. I said, Pastor Eric, how are you doing? She said, listen, call that woman, the boy's mother. She has been trying to reach you. So give me a number. She gave me the number. I called the boy's mother. And she said, oh, Brother Christopher, thank you for calling. She said, I did exactly what you said I should do. My husband was very angry, but I just kept on speaking the word. And says, this morning when I was making breakfast, I had him laying on a mattress on the floor. And suddenly I heard a sound. I look. He gets up and he walks two steps. And he falls on the ground again. And he's back like that. Uh, What should I do? I said, God is doing something. I said, don't put your finger in it. Don't interfere. I said, the best thing you can do is to keep on saying what I told you. Keep on preaching the word. Don't try to, don't interfere. Don't try to figure this out. You won't be able to even if you try. She said, okay, I will do that. I said, here's my number. Call me anytime. And so she called me the next day. She said, he got up this morning, walked four steps, and he's down again. Uh, what should I do? I said, Just do what God told you to do. And then uh, the next day, he walked across the living room and he fell down again, the same as before, paralyzed. Then the fourth morning, she called me. She was hysterical. She says, Pastor, he woke up this early this morning, has been running around all morning, and there's no sign of anything having been, uh, being wrong with him. And I said, Praise God, you know. And then, well, what happened was uh, I saw that boy one more time. And then, of course, we moved to the US 27 years ago. And, one, and I go back to Sweden every year. So, once when I was in Sweden a couple of years back, I, I suddenly thought of that woman. And I, she had, they had a very unusual last name. So, I found her. I called her. I said, Sister Birgit, that was her name. I said, Sister Birgit, this is Christopher Alam. Oh, Brother Christopher, how are you doing? I said, I'm fine. She said, I know you live in America. I said, how are you? She said, well, I'm old and retired now. I said, how is Matthias doing? That's her son, Matthias. She said, whoa, he's doing very well. He's got a family. He's got two kids. And, and uh, his hobby, you know what his hobby is? He runs marathons. I said, <laughs> I said oh, praise God. And, uh, Anyway, so, uh, so you know, I, when I put the phone down, I thought, you know, how amazing this is, because here's a boy, and uh, incurable, and doctors had no cure. He should have died, forty years ago, or what, thirty-nine years ago. He should have died, really. Uh, that's the course of nature. When you get something like that, you die. And he, he should have died, and his life would have been like a book. What with lots of empty pages, maybe the first two, three pages would have some print on it, and then it would end there and say that he died, and the rest of the book would be empty pages, and uh, uh, he, he would be forgotten by everybody except by his mother, who also passed away two years ago, went home to be with the Lord. but. Uh, uh, he would have been forgotten, except in some obscure medical uh, you know, doctor's magazine where he would be this case who died like 39 years ago you know, of this incurable disease. But now he has a story he has a life his book has pages that are full of stories he has a business he's he's got a house construction business building fine homes he has two kids he runs marathons and he's my facebook friend and he and you know and and so so you think you think um, you think what god can do and i thought uh, and this happened because Uh, of several things. The first thing was Jesus Christ, who died upon the cross, who was whipped and bruised and beaten and crucified for him, bearing his diseases and his infirmities so that he can be healed today. The second factor was the the faith of a mother who chose to believe the words of a young uh, evangelist who you could say was very immature. Maybe he wasn't very wise, but his lack of wisdom was made up, was compensated by his zeal for God. He decided to take God at his word. Because I've learned, I learned one thing to that, that wisdom that kills your faith is not wisdom at all. It is not worth having. And, and so uh, there was, was a mother who chose to believe the words of a young preacher and who spoke the word of God in the face of impossibilities. And the third thing was a, a young preacher. I didn't pay the price for him. All I did was fight that mental battle on that train when the devil told me he's going to die. But because of all that, that boy is alive today. And that is why I want to tell you, you know, speaking faith, speaking the word, is not always an easy thing, because the mind has this tendency to fall back to the natural. But that is something we should always do. You know why? Because your life depends upon it. And it could be the life of a loved one or somebody else whose life would depend upon the stand of faith you and I take. So beloved, remember this that Jesus Christ is still the same today. He is still a healer. He is still a life changer. He has not changed. We live in an evil world. We live in a sinful world of unbelief. And there's unbelief even in the church. In the church world, there is unbelief. but. Jesus is the same. His word is the same. His Holy Ghost is still the same. And those who choose to stand with him and stand with his word, we will always see the power of God. Amen. Because that's what Jesus said when he stood by the grave of Lazarus. He said, didn't I tell you if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Yeah. Didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So let us, let us be steadfast in our faith and, and not pulling back and not drawing back, but always speaking in the Word of God and always believing because God is more than able to do all things. Hallelujah.
0: What you desire to do in our midst, and Father, we trust you at the point of our need to supply your provision. Lord, for all of us as we interact in the community and move Amen. around, going home, coming back and all of our travels, we declare our protection and safety, declaring no evil befalls us, no plague comes nigh. Thank you, Father, as we travel in the highways, the airways, the seaways, the railways. We are blessed and protected of God. Father, we also thank you the righteous labor of our work during the week, those that have to handle the resource that God has given them. Lord, we know there are men and women work out that work out in the ocean, men and women in, in medicine, at the medical branches. We know our, our teachers, our students. All of our contractors, people working in retail, everyone, we declare no accidents, no trauma, no terror, no evil plans of wicked men or the devil himself. We abide under the shadow of the Most High. And Father, we also declare evangelism is burning in our hearts, that there is a door of utterance outside the four walls of the church people we can invite, people we can minister to. Thank you, Father. This week, we will be an answer to somebody's prayer, a problem to the adversary, a miracle in someone's life. Lord, as we leave today, we walk in faith and love towards you. We love you so much. We love you so much. We we walk in love toward one another. Thank you for our church. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church, shout it out. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, anointed by the Holy Ghost. We hope the Word of God has blessed you today. If you would like to hear more messages, please visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.